Hello and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. Today we have Netflix 174th film from 2019. It's the supernatural horror drama In the Tall Grass, directed by Vincenzo Natale. It stars Harrison Gilbertson, Laysla de Oliveira, Avery Whitted, Will Bowie Jr., Rachel Wilson, and Patrick Wilson. I'm Jesse, and I'm here with MJ. How are you? I'm good. I am good. I like, I've never really thought about, I like the way you always say hello when you, when you open the podcast. It's quite an animated hello. Welcome to the Flix Forum podcast. I I should take more, more notice of you. I'm already like compiling my notes and thinking what I want to read and not listening to you enough. It's, it's horrible um, when I try to edit it because it's always so loud to start off with and you got to try and bring it back down. So thank you for reminding me. I need to stop doing that. No, it's good because it, it, it ties in nicely to the little drum beat that we've got going on. <laughs> and we don't hear that as we're, we're doing this now. So, you know, we could even bring that in so we can just tease it in. Um, That's anyway. how talented you are. You're, you're working without all your, uh, all your props. <laughs> anyway, we are here to talk about a film. So we start off with the fast flicks where you give us a quick summary about what In the Tall Grass is about. So what's this one for you? I mean, I don't know how I can do a fast flicks without it not sounding exactly like everybody else's fast flicks. I'm keen to see what you've got as well. But um, a brother and sister are lured into a grass field and very soon discover that there doesn't appear to be any way out. Ooh, I like that. That's um, that's very good. I, I struggled with this one too. I've, I've just said a young boy's cry for help in a field starts a journey though through what is more than just grass. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, tried, that's different. Uh, we're going to spoil this pretty early on too. And this is a movie that you yeah. probably want to um, actually watch if you're interested in it before listening to us, because it's going to be hard not to talk about what this one sort of covers. So give us a pause, come back later on. Um, that's your warning. <laughs> So let's. Uh, We're going to spoil this because I'm going to ask Jesse questions about things I didn't quite understand. understand. That's, that's why enough. I'm looking forward to the spoils. <laughs> I got a few as well. So let's uh, <laughs> tell us about what you could find out about this film. How did it come together? Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, Vincenzo Natale was the director, and and from all reports was was very interested in the uh, in the short story in the tall grass, and, and basically wanted to do a film adaptation of it as early as as 2015. Um, so the, the story itself was a short story written by Stephen King and Joe Hill. Joe Hill is the uh, is the author name of I think it's Joe King, Stephen King's one of Stephen King's son, uh, who is quite a well acclaimed author in his own right. Um, so they wrote short story in the tall grass uh, on the seventh of May, twenty eighteen. Uh, our director Vincenzo Natale was hired to write and direct. Uh, had Steve Hoban, Jimmy Miller, and M. Riley as producers on the film. Uh, in May 28, 2018, so a couple of weeks later, they announced that a manga artist, Shintaro Kago, would be the concept art designer for the film adaptation. Now, I'm not a big manga fan. I've not heard of Shintaro Kago, but I think that's probably something that doesn't happen too often um, when you're looking for concept artists. And you, and you do get that, that manga kind of vibe in the in the film to some extent. I'd be very curious to see some of his early concept drawings. That would have been pretty cool. Um, so alongside the initial production announcement, it was initially stated that James Marsden was, was in negotiations for the film's lead role. Uh, eventually, a couple of months later, he had to bow out due to scheduling conflicts. I think he was doing Sonic the Hedgehog at the time, and he was replaced by Patrick Wilson. It's very interesting because James Marsden still has that very much clean cut, pretty boy kind of image. 
Patrick Wilson, as per the last few years, has a real horror movie link to him. So it would have been very different seeing James Marsden in that role. I also find it quite interesting that I feel like Sonic the Hedgehog in Australia anyway, probably released like a year after this movie. I know that was COVID impacts and things like that, but um, just show, goes to the, show that... The, the Why that was delayed so long was because of the... They released the trailer for that, which... Um, had like a really creepy version of Sonic. So, um, and oh, there was right. massive backlash from the fans. So they actually went back and redid all the CGI in the whole film. So that's why it took so long. <laughs> I do remember that. You think they would have done some stuff early on, uh, some concept drawings of Sonic and got some market research on that before yeah. going and making a film. <laughs> um, all right, back to the end of the tall grass. The tall grass, sorry. Principal photography was expected to begin July 30, 2018, lasted until September 2018 it was done in toronto ontario now i'm taking this straight from wikipedia so i don't have all the details but obviously those dates weren't exactly adhered to because uh on july 24 which is when they were supposed to have finished filming uh that was when they had the dilapidated church that had been constructed basically for the film which is pretty interesting because i would have thought they might have just found something on the side of the road but um they did that in perth south ontario and then also they had filming take place at a bowling alley, which you obviously see the bowling alley in the film. But from what I can gather, that's a real functioning, proper bowling alley that they use, um, again, in you know, Ontario, which is in Elmira, Ontario. Um, so they did a bit of work on it to make it look a bit more used and a bit more grimy, obviously real part of the film. Um, that would have been pretty fun for the people working there. So the film itself, world premiere at Fantastic Fest on the 20th of September, 2019. Uh, couple of weeks later on October 4, it was available to stream on Netflix. And just one thing I want to mention at the end, this is the second of three Stephen King adaptations that were released in consecutive months. Now, we know Stephen King is just the master of getting his work adapted for the screen. I think we did this um, during 1922 or um, maybe even Gerald's Game. That's how many Netflix movies that have just been done of Stephen King. But I think he's had something like 60-odd adaptations and the next best is is like eight or nine by any author it's just unbelievable everything he writes just turns to gold on the screen so um it chapter two was released on september 2019 in the tall grass what we're talking about now in october and then dr sleep november it was also the third of four stephen king adaptations released in 2019 with pet cemetery remake uh, and the second season of castle rock i've seen all of those um films or tv shows so stephen king just getting it done still in 2019 he was and that's he's not a young man anymore i reckon he's got too long to go so you know he still keeps <laughs> pumping books out as he as he goes and obviously working alongside his son um with a fair bit of work recently as well but i think um yeah you've, you've touched on quite a lot of stuff there which is good um it did play at a couple other festivals after fantastic fest too um vancouver and um another one at the start of october before it hit netflix it was nominated for a few awards, won a few. It was uh, one at the Directors Guild of Canada for Outstanding Achievement in Sound Editing and the award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement for a Feature Film. So that's impressive. That nice. awards, it was also nominated for editing. And then it was also nominated at the Canadian Society of Cinematography for a non-theatrical release. Um, and also at Fangoria um, Fest, it was nominated for the best streaming premiere film. So um, a few little nominations there for that one, which is nice. Um, how, how long do you think until those awards no longer separate streaming and theatrical releases? Because uh, I feel like in 10 years' time, it's going to be a really weird blurred line. I think so too. I think it's really tough that 
that you can classify that like especially when half the films in the last two years haven't had the opportunity to, mm. to even get into a cinema so uh the this is a spoiler so i'm gonna put it out there now this is starting off so the ending of this film um we see that there's this kid called Tobin who is able to get out of the field of grass. In the actual short story of the novella, um, he actually remains trapped in the grass. So um, right. it's a bit of a big change from the, the story, but I think possibly um, gives it a bit more an upbeat ending for a film rather than um, in the novella where he stays there and sort of, um, you know, keeps luring kind-hearted people to the field. It That's absolutely it. does. I, I was going to ask you, have you read it? No. Okay. Um, yeah. Would you say he's luring people in? I, I feel like there was a sincerity to him luring them in in the first place when you actually do the bit of a rewind. I know we're getting off, off topic a little bit here, but I feel like when you actually go back and see why he was calling out, I don't think he was trying to lure. Or not in the film version, that's for sure. Based on what I've read about that, uh, for sure, though, I think it's he's a little bit of a different character. Oh, no, Tobin's an evil kid. Mm, as as oh, kids are generally in king stories um, in king the, stories and in cornfields cornfields yeah um, <laughs> translations across the world so in brazil oh, yes. and venezuela this was called the field of fear which i don't mind I thought that was a, that's oh, not yeah, a bad great. title in japan it was called it was called in the the tall grass but it had a subtext um the madness labyrinth which is oh um, yeah i'm allowed that as well and then we'll go vietnam they always have a, a good little translation here and this is called roadside grass it doesn't give you any oh that's it's i mean it's not wrong it's no. what the, it's where the grass was located yeah very interesting um did you see the tagline for this one no i didn't okay so the tagline is some places have a mind of their own okay it's there it's it's dull very, very it's ambiguous yeah. yeah yeah very ambiguous uh all right what about the critical consensus for this what what are the, the people saying the people on IMDb are giving it a 5.4 out of 10, and that's off 53,000 ratings. Not a bad number. 5.4, probably a little bit tempered. I think they would have hoped for a bit higher. Letterboxd, as seems to often be the case, is a little bit lower. Two and a half out of five. Over 60,000 ratings on Letterboxd. So we're back up to Letterboxd being the, the prominent um, rating platform. So not the highest rating numbers there. What have you got? Even lower for our Rotten Tomatoes um, critics who have it sitting at 36%. That's on 75 reviews, mm. so very rotten. Audience had it even lower, 33%. That's on over oh, 500. Wow. So, um, yeah, obviously a little bit more Not popular happy. on IMDb than anywhere else, but very mixed bag. Good number of people that have watched it, though. That will buoy Netflix a little bit. Yes, definitely. Well, what are your early thoughts for this one? Yeah, I... um. I generally enjoyed it. I, I it it captured my attention really early on. I like the concept. I think it's I think it's fun. I think it's a little bit different. It opened up some nice opportunities um, with what you can do with the story. It I don't know if I really got overly invested in, in the characters and and them wanting to get out. And I, I had a few issues piecing it all together. And on reflection, I still feel a little bit unresolved. I just feel like there's some gaps in in how it all came together and. I think there's things that I've just missed in terms of the representation that I haven't read much about, but I'd be keen to explore a little bit further. But, you know, for a dark, disturbing, claustrophobic, mind-bending movie experience, there was enough to sink my teeth into. I struggled at the start. I mean, it just had that really 
big B movie type of feel to it. Um, once it, once I got going, I, I was in for the you know the cheesiness, um, some of the thrills. So it was an enjoyable watch. Yeah, all right, I'll give you that. All right, characters. Start us off with who you want to talk about. So I'm going to put this back onto you and find out who you Ooh. want to talk about. Like, who, who is the main character in this film for you? It's a very good question. It's like who, and I've got. We'll talk about this. I'm guessing, but the idea is whose journey is this film about? I guess is the the real mm, question you yep. want to ask. Who, who and we're not talking about themes and ideas yet, but this film's about redemption. So you got to think about who gets the redemption the most in this film. And I think there are various uh, progresses through redemption for various characters. Um, I listed them in order of appearance. So, um, but if we're talking about who has the the best arc in this film, I'd, I'd go with Travis. Uh, we're on the same page. Then. That's, yep. that's, that's where I thought this story really was revolving around. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's the, he's the kid that obviously has made mistakes. Um, didn't want this child that he's having with Becky. And I, I think his arc is, is probably the the one that you're in with the most and the one that you see that full circle redemption mode um, other than yeah. the, more so than the others. Yeah, you kind of covered it all talking about the idea of redemption. His, his story is basically just a story of sacrifice and redemption and even prior to knowing that he's going to find them in this labyrinth of peril, basically. He was sacrificing himself by trying anything at any cost to find to find Becky. Um, and it's, you know, in a sense, it's quite a satisfying conclusion for him, um, which I will, I'll get into a little bit later about that as well. Um, but Travis seems to be the man, which is kind of interesting when he's like the sixth main character to actually hit our screen. Yeah, and I, th- I think you got to lead into Becky after him because she does have redemption in her thoughts. And obviously you, you work out that she's on this journey to... Um, to adopt out this child that she's pregnant with. And I mean, you see at the start, she's not ready for this child, but obviously this journey through the, this tall grass and this reconnection with Travis gives her her own redemption, I guess, and, and makes her change her mind. So it's there as well. I thought it was a really interesting choice to kill her off so early. Um, obviously, as it turns out, <laughs> she kind of just coexisted or, turned into grass i don't even know what the hell happened but anyway she didn't probably die she just died in one strand of the of the story but she kind of in a sense was as well that that prize to be protected whether it was her or whether it was the child it it kind of felt like there was more at stake which you know probably didn't need to be the case because there were genuine lives at stake throughout the whole film but there seemed to be more at stake with with becky and and because there were two people basically doing whatever they could to protect her and to save her it kind of she had this kind of real halo effect about her, which probably leads us into the other person who was trying to protect her in uh, in Cal. Um, I don't know what you have to say about Cal. I kind of never liked Cal. I don't think I was supposed to like him from the start. As much as he was doing the right thing to an extent to protect his sister and be there for her on this journey, I'm talking about the journey before they go into the field, um, there's just something about him that I think that, that yeah, we were supposed to dislike him just by his... I don't know, his disposition, just the vibe that you get from him early in the car. Um, and whilst I've got no issue with his protectiveness, there was that level of uh, incestuous behaviour that was touched on, not really resolved. So I think you're expected to think that it existed, um, which I don't mind. I don't, I don't mind that popping up into a, into a film that's not really talked about that much. Just kind of left me a little bit um, 
I know. I just felt a bit irky by him, and he just felt when that happened, he just felt like a really secondary character. That they've probably done a good job with that too, because I think that's that's how you're supposed to have felt towards him. You know, you know this overprotective sibling that you, as soon as you see that, anyone that's got a sibling doesn't want to associate or feel that themselves. So, mm. um, but I, I agree with everything that you've said that, that that idea of him not being able to draw the line and almost that possessiveness that he. Mm enables through his actions and his words um and in particular with his dislike or his animosity towards um travis you're not supposed to like this guy <laughs> mm. yeah and it's funny because like he's fine like he's basically doing the right thing he kind of you know well he basically kills travis but his intentions are always to protect his sister which in a sense is fine but um but then that's what made me feel like he's he's so expendable, this guy. Like, we're probably just going to kill him off and that'll be the end of it and it didn't really matter. So, Like, based on what happens, is he killed off? Like, who knows? Well, no, that's yeah, the thing. Like, but again, he just felt like he was there because he was just part of that strand story yeah. too. I guess the, the other big one that we haven't really spoken about is Ross. And I think there's probably a big Ross. Still a sin on Ross. Big, big Ross. What are your thoughts on Ross? It's not about, like, at the start, I'm like, I was so comforted by Ross. I'm like, this guy is just, he's comfortable about being in the field. I kind of believe he knows agent, what he's so. doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, um, and, and the turn was good. I think this was a fun character, to be honest. Mm. Um, and I think it's worth exploring. You know, it, there has to be a level of this power-hungry, controlling connotation to his character because The Rock obviously gave him something. Um but it combined with his own personality that made him this crazed, murderous maniac that he, that he turned out to be. Um, but without digging any deeper, on the surface, he was just, this was a fun villain. Um, just something about that religious, um, almost happy-go-lucky, positive guy who just wanted to murder the hell out of everyone. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think that his one-liners at times were great and the idea that they intertwined that he had this sort of history with religion outside the field of grass too, like he was in a gospel band or something like that. And the idea that they played this through his character, like the idea that um, he tries to get his points across through words. And then when the words don't work, that's when he's not afraid to, to try and use force to get people to see this light that he obviously yeah. has a connection with, with the rock and through um, his previous, you know, faith or, or his religion. And, and I think that, I really enjoyed the idea of him losing both his eyes because it sort of highlights this idea of blind faith. He still can't see, but he's still, he's still so committed to this, this rock. And I just think that symbolism was, um, was fantastic. And yeah, mm, I thought it was very funny. Yeah. yeah great. Um, any other, did you want to talk about Tobin, the little kid? <laughs> I think I, I have to say about Tobin, I actually thought this was an awesome performance, a really good child actor performance. Um, it wouldn't have been an easy role for a kid to play. Um, it's very dark. It's very, um, what's the word? It's almost, it's quite disturbing, a film. Um, and he captured the innocence of this character really nicely. Um, but the kid itself, the kid himself was just, as a, as a character, was so smart and so resourceful. And I think the first time we properly meet him, he, he kind of knows what's going on. You get the idea he's been in the field for a very long time. Um, so you feel a comfort to Tobin almost immediately. Um, and I guess the fact that he still is a child dealing with a lot of trauma, particularly around his parents, 
you start to root for him, uh, which makes the ending a little bit more satisfying with him being a semi-hero in it. The, the idea, and you, you'd said this anyway, but he is the only innocent person in this film, really. He, he represents innocence, um, whereas because everyone else in that field, even Ross's wife, Natalie, like, you know, I think Ross made a comment about her being a, an absent sort of mother. And, and so they've all got their own faults at somewhere, whereas he is that one character that he has a dog and he's a kid and mm. he doesn't deserve to be in there. So I think that conclusion with him getting out is um, an excellent way to to show that, you know, this kid needs a chance to live his life and, and work out what's right and wrong himself. With that said, I can totally imagine Stephen King movie or book ending with him not getting out and being like, fuck it, that's what's life. It's life. Sorry, guys. Life, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> director, can Without, I talk about the director? No? Oh, sorry. Can I just, in characters, I'm going to bring this into characters because I, I want to talk about it, but I don't know where else to talk about it. And I want to put The Rock as a character. Um, yep. So it's so interesting how Dwayne Johnson's got such a stranglehold on on the world that when you say the rock, you actually think of him as opposed to the fact that this is a physical rock that we're talking about. Um, I want to know. I've got a lot of questions. I don't have a lot of answers, but like, you know, what do we think of the rock? What did it represent? How did it work? I'm confused by the fact that Tobin touches the rock at the very start um, in one of the strands, and I actually had to go back after I finished watching it to just confirm that he did touch it. Um, and even after he touched it, he was always quite helpful to Cal at that point in time. Travis touches the rock, obviously helps Tobin escape. You know, did this rock, obviously the rock did impact Ross differently to Tobin and, and, and Travis. And I just, I want to know, I don't get it too much. I don't understand what it was doing. It's in the question part at the end because they made, they put such emphasis on if you touch the rock, you can't leave. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, Tobin touched it. So the only thing that I can sort of consider is that there's only one person at a time that can take that power of the rock. So if, so obviously now that at the end, Travis touches the rock, then um, Ross has lost that power. So in um, Tobin touching it at one stage, then obviously at some stage, Ross has touched it again, which takes that power off him. Mm. I'm not sure. I don't know. But then you've got all those dead people that are already in there that have probably touched it themselves and are still in there. So I don't know. I think the less you think about it, the easier it is to understand (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Because there's a level of different strands of different people going through that. And I think he, Tobin says something at the start about, you know, you're in my, you're in my current story or whatever. That's why I can hear you. And that's why we can hear each other when we're yelling. And which makes me think there is another version of all of these characters going through this again and again and again. It's, it's an infinite loop to an extent. And you see that obviously with, um, and that's quite clever how they do it when, when you see Cal and Becky lured into there again for the time when Travis comes in there after he'd already been after them. It's, it's all a bit confusing. But you assume that there is one strand where Ross has t- touched it. There's one strand where Tobin's touched it. There's obviously that same strand where Travis touches it after Ross has touched it. I just, I, I feel like there's a lot of religious connotations to this film and particularly around this rock that I, I just haven't understood. And if there are and they're really clean, then I think this movie probably goes to another level or this story goes to another level, but I, I just want to put my hand up and say, I feel like I'm missing something. And I don't mind the idea that you can leave that open to interpretation and questioning like we're talking, doing now, because it, sometimes it's nice sure. to not have it so blatantly in your face. And you can just be like, I don't know what happened, but I'm happy to go with my thoughts that this is how it happened, or this is what this represents or what, like, you know, obviously the, the rock has a connection to the church because the church is called little black rock or whatever it was. Yep. And, and obviously when, um, 
Tobin gets out he ends up in that back room of the the church so there's some sort of connection there through there somehow so it like you mentioned it obviously all has to do with faith it has to do with religion yeah but there's there's no like what sort of faith or religion is this because um you know most people who who have some sort of faith don't believe in a um an evil sort of um head of of their faith so whereas the rock through its actions is obviously making people act in ways or especially with Ross acting in ways that aren't that nice. And that's why I feel like that's got so much more to do with Ross because Travis, as soon as he touches it, he frees Tobin. And obviously there is a truth to the fact that you cannot leave the field once you've touched it because Travis didn't leave, couldn't leave you. I guess you become one with the, with the field, with the grass, with nature. It's all, it's all combined and you become I guess maybe you give up your own your own soul or your own being or your own heartbeat to, to be part of that. Um, but yeah, it's and I guess talking through this is kind of helping to clarify it a little bit without you know being able to nail a complete answer to to how and why it all worked. I'm sure that we'll probably touch on more of this a little bit later on. So let's talk yeah. about um, Vincenzo Natali. What anything that you can t- talk about him? No, no, I actually, he's probably, he was my like IMDB when it was watching the film because I'm just like, who's, who's adapting this film? Who, who's the person that's doing this film? Obviously there's, you know, is he like a Stephen King go-to director or not? But no, I wasn't familiar with much of his stuff. Yeah. I mean, a lot of directing for a lot of sci-fi TV. So he did like the Stephen King, the stand um, and some episodes of Westworld, Luke Cage, the Netflix, Marvel, Hannibal, Orphan Black, so a lot of that sort of sci-fi stuff too. Mm. Scenes. Any scenes that you wanted to talk about that you enjoyed? Yeah, probably interesting that you said at the start that you, you struggled to get into it. It felt a very B B grade movie at the at the beginning. For me, I really enjoyed it's probably the wrong word because I felt very uncomfortable. But when I first entered the field, that feeling of claustrophobia hit me almost immediately. Um, and I remember thinking. Like, is this, is this the movie? Like, how are we going to do this for an hour and a half? <laughs> like, just walking through a field. Um, but that, 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 that captured it nicely. Um, whether I liked it or not, it, was, it worked. But what I did like is that first time when, they, when Cal and Becky both jump up in the air. I thought that was really nicely done. They're like, oh, you guys are a few metres away from each other. You'll get there pretty quickly. That's smart. Well done. And then they did it again. And I was like, whoa, where are we? What's, you know, we've, we've taken this to another level. I thought that was really cool. Um, real standout scene for me. And the only other thing that I did have in there was, again, I don't know if I liked it or as much as I just enjoyed the, uh, what's the, what's the word I'm thinking of? The spontaneity or the surprise of it was when, uh, was when Ross just crushed his wife's head in. Um, I just wasn't seeing that happen. I think like deep down, I did enjoy crazy Ross and, and how he could flick a switch. I thought he was a pretty fun character and that was probably the, the signifier of it. That's the first thing I've got as well, the, the squeeze of that head together. I was just like, wow, that was, that was cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I thought that was good. Uh, and I think it's hard to sort of distinguish a lot with this because like you mentioned just before, like they're in this, it's like one setting pretty much the whole film. So it's just like this continuous um backwards and forwards between characters trying to find each other so i think um there's one stage where um travis and cal were having an argument and and i think um travis made a joke about you know him wanting to um have sex with his sister and i just had a laugh at that i thought that was quite funny <laughs> <laughs> and uh the uh, like i said before too a lot of ross's lines were really good um my favorite was i think it was um 
So Becky had taken his eye out and he, and he's trying to find Travis and he's like, I can't see you. Your honey took my eye out. It was just, it was just like <laughs> perfect, perfect delivery and timing. It was uh, very, very good. Yeah, he was good. <laughs> he was. Is there anything in here that you didn't like? Not too much. There was one, there was one shot where they just sort of zoomed into the field and into the grass and it was very much a CGI grass. And the more they zoomed, the worse it looked. And I just, I thought when you're making a film about grass, I'm sure you're at, you, at some point you're in this physical field and you probably could have done better with the, with the CGI. But anyway, it wasn't too big a deal. And the other thing that got me, and I'm not sure if I like watched this incorrectly or didn't pick it up, but did Becky eat her own baby? Was she fed her own baby? Or was it like the placenta or whatever it was? I don't think I liked that scene. <laughs> That, that whole scene with the giving birth into the ground and that stuff was all a little bit like it was hard to work out what exactly was going on. So, yeah, yeah I don't have an answer for you either. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm watching this as if she ate her baby. Yeah. And, uh, felt weird. Mm. Um, the only thing, like the at the climax with um, Ross trying to before the birth and he made some really creepy rape sort of comment to Becky about, you know, do you want to feel me in you? It, it just wasn't needed. Like, I don't understand. Mm. He's a bad enough character as it was. That one line didn't add anything further to it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent right. I remember that. Yeah. All right. What are some themes or ideas in this one? Probably everything we've, we've, we've talked about this a lot already. And I do want to preface again. I think there's a lot of religious connotations to this film, particularly when you've got Ross with his faith, you've got, and that's what I initially I was, thinking here's this guy who's particularly religious reacting like this are, are we having a dig at religion in some capacity this there's there's a lot of evil in this rock that's re- that's linked to this church and I, I, i'm not saying there is but the, I, I was watching this film thinking there is some negativity around its religion and i like what you said about blind faith and maybe there is something there i'm not 100 sure but I, I think there's a lot of religious connotations to this film that i haven't quite picked up on and whether everything links nicely i'm not too sure but Otherwise, from that, there is a massive level of, of redemption and, and, and basically trying to, to right your wrongs and, and discover, I guess, if you don't put yourself in a position where you think you can die any minute, you maybe don't think about how you can actually right your wrongs. And the one person who was doing that prior to this going into the field was Travis anyway, already trying to be on that road of redemption. And um, being in the field didn't change that, but he got a really nice, clean, um, sacrificial redemption at the end. Yeah, I... I think that you you bang on with everything because if you have and through that redemption, if you have that faith, you can continue with your life. So I think that that rock being the redeemer, I guess, through this redemption um, sort of leads in with, and these characters are are disoriented throughout. And I guess at times with faith, people are lost. People, you know, there are people are always challenged. There's a lot of religious readings and, and writings about, you know, there's a time in your life where you're down and out, come back to your faith, come back to your religion. And, um, I think that, the, the forking paths almost or you know choosing which path to go down throughout you know we see that a lot throughout this film that they're like oh i'm going to go down this path to try and find you. i'm going to go down this path and and these are all really big religious symbols that are included so i don't think it's necessarily um an anti-religion film or, or like saying or having a whack at religion it's sort of no. just highlighting the the different ways you can go about um you know, living, living your time cycle through faith, through redemption, through doing the right thing, through family. Cause you know, especially for Ross family is a big part of that idea of, of his thoughts. And 
and like the grass, I think it was not it like you can die, but um, you can come back. And, and there's a lot in here too about time and making choices and, and not necessarily getting the chance to relive the, the same moments over again, but getting that chance to, you know, what would happen if you did die? Okay, well, mm. go back and do this or do this a different right, way or, or reflect on what you're doing. So, yeah, interesting. That is marvellously put. I, I think you, you touched on a number of really good points there um, and you've summed it up and you've answered my questions without even knowing you're answering them. So that's that was well done. I I like that take. Way off from what I had written down, but that was just me. <laughs> good. That's all right. That's all right. It's good. Good. Uh, what did you take away from this one? Like the main thing I took away, and I think it's a thing that the movie did quite well, was was the idea of these different strands of the same story and how they can somewhat overlap. And sure, it messes with your head quite a bit, um, and that's half the reason we're sitting here trying to dissect it and you know how people different people react touch the rock and react differently and you know travis arrived after becky and cal because he was coming after them yet he was already in the maze like it's it's quite a quite a hard thing to wrap your head around it sometimes but i i kind of kind of enjoy that i, I like the fact that it's non-linear like the fact that there's a bit of a leap of faith taken and uh and you're sitting there trying to plug the pieces together which was um which was fun because even there's like parts, you know, there's that shot in from inside the church where, and Becky says, someone's watching us. And then like, obviously you get, get that at the end that you know that it's um, Tobin who's yep. who's there at the end trying to call them back in. And, you know, there's the stages where Tobin, once he's like filthy and then he's like clean. And yeah, it's just all done, like, there's a lot of thought and effort that has to go into to when you're doing a nonlinear um, narrative like that. So Great thumbs up point. for that. The, the one thing for this for me is, this needed to be seen in a cinema, I think, or a really, really dark room. And I've, I've yep. watched this before you and I mentioned to you, I said, watch this at night or watch this in the darkest room possible because I watched this um, middle of the day and a lot of those scenes at night in the grass, I could barely see what was going on. It was real. It was a real struggle. I had to pause a lot and try and adjust contrast and brightness. Oh, were you going that because, far? Oh, no. Because yeah, there were scenes where it was literally like, it was like a blank screen. So... Um, <laughs> That's and you can see the reflection things. of yourself sitting in the couch. Yep. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that, that that was a little bit of a letdown for me, but yeah. Other than that, all good. Um, it's a good point. And you know what? This is a movie that was produced by Netflix from the very start. They should have had that in the back of their mind that people are watching this on their TVs. Exactly. Um, did you have any other IMDb's apart from the director? No, I didn't. Uh, not at all. No. I looked up. Um, so Travis, played by Harrison Gilbertson. When he came on the screen, I'm like, that guy's an Aussie. I've seen him in something before. Oh. Um, so I jumped on and I went through seeing him. I'm like, and then I got to a TV show called Conspiracy 365. So this is back about 2012. So this was, um, okay. it was a, a novel series, like a, a, a teen sort of novel series where each book was like a month of the year. So like called January, February, March, et cetera. And I read these, I don't know if I must have just... I'd finished high school. I don't know. I was reading them anyway. I read them and they did a TV adaptation on ABC. So this kid is the main character. Like he was the kid. He was the main character in the TV show. So um, we used to watch it with my family and that's a like wonderful my, sister, my sister and I still laugh. There is a line of dialogue in the show where one of the characters um, is in a coma and it's like, the line, something along the lines of like, he's in an induced coma. That means he's not awake. And my sister and I just laugh all the time still about that line because it's so ridiculous. Um, and the other thing, he's in Beneath Hill 60, another um, okay. film yeah. that I have taught many times at school as well. So, um, yeah, 
That was, I was, no, I, so he's I an Aussie. Didn't I didn't, yeah. Him, yeah, he's an Aussie. Yeah. Yeah. Good on him. All right. Um, question time. Anything you wanted to ask? I've already, a few of ours have already, mine have already gone. A few, a few of mine have as well, but I got one. And this is, this is where my head is at with dissecting the ending of the story. Because I'm going to, is there a narrative where all of these people come out of this fine? Because Becky, the movie ends, Becky and Cal never go in. So Travis never looks for them. And if Travis isn't in there, he doesn't lure in Tobin, Ross, and Natalie. When the movie ended, that's what I thought. Obviously, we see Travis get taken in by the grass, but I'm like, cool, that's a different strand of Travis. The other Travis is still back home thinking about whether he should go after his unborn child. I, I, I finished this film thinking that they all come out of it okay. Because if Becky and Cal never go in, then no one else actually goes in. Even though we hear Tobin in there. Yep. I, that's, that's how I took this film. There is still a Tobin in there, even though the Tobin's out. Tobin's already out. But then if Becky and Cal never go in this, then Travis never comes after them. And if Travis isn't in the field, because he's the one that lures in the family. Even though the family were in there before. We're in there already. Maybe Tobin. that's a different strand of them. That haven't. Well. That's, that's how I sort of took it. Mm. And I don't, doing a little bit of reading, I don't think anybody else took it that way. Because, ah, Travis, big sacrifice at the end. I'm like, yeah, but that, he's fine. Because Becky and Cal didn't go in. That's, that's how I took this ending, which is great. It's an ambiguous ending. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's, that's how I took Maybe it's two glass half full, but... Because like obviously the end, you it's you, Travis gets sucked in, so you, you're assuming he's dead now. So yeah, he's part of the field. Yeah. So is that now that he's had got the power of the rock, he gets to make the choices? Does he just say now it's all over, or is Ross going to come back alive because everyone comes back alive in there, and is Ross back alive in there and chasing Travis endlessly the whole time? Well, one thing that confuses me, and this is why I kind of wish they had have seen Becky's body again after Becky was alive, because I was under the impression that it was a different Becky that we saw later on from the one that actually died. I don't think they actually come back to life. I think because of that line that Tobin says near the start, he's like, oh, how come you can hear me? He's like, oh, we're in the same. He says something like we're in the same thing. That's why we can hear each other. And that's what makes me think there's just different strands of this same thing looping around, looping around, looping around. But it makes sense so in this the, case, when she, when she leaves, she's still pregnant. So, and we saw the baby obviously go. So that would make sense. Yeah. So that's, I just kind of feel like everything, everyone actually ends up okay without them telling you explicitly, which is even better. I don't know. I like that. Good. Yeah, good. You thought very hard about that. I'd... Well, I didn't think about it. That's just the first thing that popped into my head. I'm like, oh, they didn't go in. Cool. So Travis isn't going to go after them. So yeah, it just is all chain reaction. The whole movie's about chain reactions, right? Yeah, true. Um, well, I've covered most of the stuff I had there. And I've got a couple of ones that sort of um, plot twists that got me. Did you think that Cal and Becky were partners at the start? Yes. Yes. Yeah, me too. I was like, didn't think that. And the other one was, did you think that Tobin was her child grown up in the field when they first meet him? So I think that, that thought did cross my mind at one yeah. point. Yeah. But never, never lingered. Lingered. Yeah. That would have no, been I cool. Just, I was like, there's a couple of good little, um, you know, throwaways there that make, make you think the whole time. Cause when he says, how long have you been here? And he's like, Oh, I couldn't tell you. It's like, Oh shit. Maybe you've been here like six years. Since you were born, yeah. <laughs> you were born in here. Yeah. I did think that for a little bit. Good. All right. We ready to wrap it up. 
This has um, been a fun chat. I'll be honest. This, is, this has been good. I'm glad. Well, we give the film a rating out of five and come up with an average. Tell us your final thoughts. Yeah, look, as, as a straight narrative, I actually really enjoyed it. I, I like the dark tones, that, that feeling of breathlessness, the questions that I had throughout. I did constantly feel like I'd missed a beat, and I don't think even after chatting with you that things entirely tie well together. But I also think that might be half the fun of it because I never felt like I was too far off to not know what was going on. And I, and I've still obviously enjoyed it enough. It's a pretty solid three-star movie for me. But yeah. I, I think that this is the perfect sort of film that Netflix can be making. Like you have a cast of about six, one location, not going to cost them an awful lot. And you, you get good rewatch value. You get discussions, thoughts, mm. um, and you know, like you've mentioned as well, it gives you a lot to think about. And I sort of like films like this that allow you to come up with your own interpretation of, of what's going on and not necessarily have answers or, or mm. not exactly what's going on. So, yeah, I'm giving it a three as well. Nice. Good. We are on social. We've got Twitter, Facebook, mm. Instagram. Question for you. The field mm. doesn't move dead things. So we see the dog's dead. We see Becky's dead, et cetera. But like you mentioned, we didn't come back to them at all. So we're assuming that they're still there. It's, as far assuming. as I can tell, they would still be there, yeah. So is this like a, a call from the film to be like, live life to the fullest? If you know that you can think back and go, my dead body's there, I should live my life to the best. I don't know. Yeah, I guess there's a definitely a level of that. I was happy to see old Freddy the dog find himself a little yeah. portal. <laughs> Just kept going in and out. Um, yeah. yeah, interesting. All right, well, Back again next week. I've uh, got another 2019 film. It's a neo-Western crime thriller. It's El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. It is directed by Vince Gilligan, stars Aaron Paul, Jesse Plemons, Scott MacArthur, Scott Shepard, Charles Baker, Matt Jones, and Robert Foster. Nice. That's all we got. Um, That's all we got. Yeah. Um, looking forward to having another chat. I don't know if we'll have as, as good a discussion as uh, we did today, but it should still be good. Now, this will be a good one. I have watched it, and... Um... I'll watch it again and, and we'll do our thing. And I think I haven't, I've watched like two episodes of Breaking Bad. So my context would be completely different. So it could be a good discussion. Yeah, this would be good. And now I'm going to have to remember everything that happened in Breaking Bad so I can actually bring some credibility to the podcast. You got a, you got a week to watch what, 10 seasons. Of- <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to rewatch it. It's great, great TV show. Really good TV show. But- good. Uh, as always, been good fun. And I'll see you next week. I'll see you then.